Cosmetic family. Thanks for joining us on the Cosmetic Podcast. Cosmetic means being a person, a thing that gives rise to a phenomenon that is dynamic or energizing. We're tackling topics and telling the truth. I'm Keith Benson. And I'm Rodrigo Ross. So today we have Mr. Kevin Washington, the CEO of the, the National Office for the YMCA. Kevin, thanks for joining us, brother. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with both of you today. Yes. I got a whole dance ready and everything. I'm excited. Uh-oh, watch out. <laughs> All right, so we, we should jump into the deep end. Let's get the obvious question out of the way. So there's this thing called a pandemic that's going on, and, man, it has hit some wise. Like, take us through those moments in the early days, Kevin, when that when that news was coming down. Like, give us the lead up to that day that they said, hey, everybody shut down. Well, Across the country. Yeah, it was. And it was, um, as you probably guessed, it was a very tough conversation we had with a several wives. Um, internally, we closed our office March 10th. Mm. Um, and then we had several conversations about how should we communicate to our brothers and sisters across this movement? What should be the message? We, did, we thought about it a lot. And then we realized the significant issues that this pandemic was coming forth. It was serious. Mm. And so probably for the first time in my history of the organization, we really recommended that wise close. And to be quite frank, we got we got a, a lot of negative message from states across the country. They were like, who do you think you are? Why are you telling us that? Well, the reality is four days later, 95% of the wives were closed. Right. We saw what this was doing. And it would have been, I would think it would have been negligent on YUSA's part if we didn't take a very strong proactive stance because we recognized this virus was killing folks. Mm -hmm. And the potential that it had in an organization like ours where we had crowds of people together could have been devastating. So we took that action. We took a lot of hits for it, but no one has come back and said, you guys make the right call. Not one, not one. <laughs> they forgot about all that. Probably not gonna happen, don't wait. Oh, I think I've been I've been in this seat long enough to know you don't get any credos. You get all the negative stuff, but none of the none of the positive stuff comes back this way. <laughs> That's okay. We're we're speaking all kind of positivity over your name right uh, here today. All hail the chief. Thank you, and I need it. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, just talking about your long story career, like you didn't just wake up one day and become the president of the White State of the USA, right? Tell us a little bit about the backstory, the Kevin Washington that many folks don't know. Well, you know, this was it's been a long journey. You know, you've heard some of you may know the story. The Y met me at the WMS Pierce School at the age of 10 mm. in a program called the Gray Y, which was acronym for grade school at the Y. And my youth director at the time was Bill Morton. He was a youth director at the Christian Street YMCA, which was what we would term now as a YMCA that served black folks in communities of South Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And it was at that, that Y that I got hooked on the Y, so to speak, in more ways than one. It was a place where I felt safe, it was a place where they helped develop me in so many ways, learning me how to swim, learning to play basketball, archery, day camp, all of those things. But more importantly, there was a group of caring, nurturing men at that YMCA. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And not just the folks who wore the shirt and ties. It was the people who were the lifeguards. It were the people who were the physical directors. It was the people who worked at the front desk. It was the maintenance staff. They all cared about people like Kevin Washington and young boys growing up in South Philadelphia. That's how I got engaged in the Y. And then I started doing work at the Y. I was volunteering. I wasn't old enough, nor good enough at the time, to play basketball in the church league. But my brother did. So I kept score on Friday night, kept the score. One day, one of his, one of, uh, one of the players that he played against had 48 points against him. I made sure I circled that and let him know about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I learned my community service, giving back. And then I became good enough to play in the league, and I played basketball in the league. Uh, got good enough, and I got a scholarship to Temple University. And after I left Temple, I was coming home one day because I was working at a settlement house. And I saw Mr. Morton, who was the executive director of that Christian Street Y, and he stopped me and he said, Kevin, come by and see me Monday. And I did. And he offered me the job to be the youth director at the Christian Street YMCA where I grew up. And that was in September 24th. I'm dating you. I'm dating you, Brad Regas and Uh-oh. Keith. Uh-oh. September 24th, 1978 is when I started my YMCA career. Get out of it. I'm not going to tell you how old I was. <clears throat> <laughs> don't tell me. I, I don't, I, but uh, that was the start. That was the start. Um, but it really was that work and that op- that engagement at the William S. Pierce School that got me hooked on the YMCA and what it could do for folks. And for me and so many other brothers and sisters growing up in South Philly, it was that bridge that helped us cross that battle from adolescence to adulthood. And that's how I've always seen the why, as that, that safe place that helped people develop who they are. And yeah. We say spirit, mind, and body, but in, for folks and Black folks, it was staying out of trouble, right. getting an opportunity to, to get a stance, understand what your potential was, and then fulfilling it. That's how I got started in the why. And then you know the story, I've worked at Christian Street for three years and I moved out to North, North Philly, became executive director. Uh, I think I was like 27 when I became executive director. Stayed at that Y for a while, then I moved to Chicago. And I gotta tell you, it was at Chicago that I really understood the value of what a Y could be in a community. Mm-hmm. Because we did um, foster care in the YMCA of uh, Chicago. We did street intervention work where we were in the streets working with teens to ensure that they were safe and peaceful. We did pregnancy prevent pregnancy to making sure that uh, young girls who were having babies got their prenatal care because that this particular um, census tract had the highest instance of of, uh, of, of deliveries of ba- babies being uh, born uh, in, in negative positions. So we worked there in that regard, and I started to understand that the why could be a lot about well, swimming gym and that personal development stuff, but it could be a lot more from a social conscious perspective. And Chicago gave me that particular perspective about what the Y could do. Yeah. Well, you just sound like you just described the work that the Y is doing right now. And so, you know, we we had to close, like you said earlier, uh, but then we shifted to all this work. I mean, can you talk a little bit about uh, from this global perspective, from your lens, uh, you know, what YMCA's were doing? Uh, one at the local level, but then also in D.C. Like, what was the what was the voice? What was the advocacy that was going on there? Also, it's a good question. Two things. One, you talked about shifting, and really, we shifted. What I say to roots that we've always been engaged in. Right, the right. pandemic forced us to do that, and mm-hmm. we recognized that we could do it in a highly effective way. I mean, we were partners. You guys know you were doing this and that with food banks, with uh, blood banks. I mean, we were doing with doing emergency child care for first responders, we were seen and still continue to be seen 
as a vital community asset. And what happened in D.C., and I will tell you, being very um, uh, prejudicial, <laughs> we were the why. And I look at all of us. We were the lead dogs in this troop. All nonprofits got together to work collaboratively because what I recognized early on was that there was no other way we were going to be able to get the resources we needed as an institution if we didn't get help from the federal government. It was key for us. It was key. So what what I really loved about this is that we all got together and all of us worked toward that process using all the avenues, the advocacy processes that we knew. And the reality is, and I've come, I believe this wholeheartedly, as an organization, if we have our minds together and we're working collaboratively, there's not anything we can't accomplish. Yeah. The yeah. difficulty for us has been able to find out what is it that we want to do collectively. Yeah. But the power that we demonstrated in this pandemic around this whole advocacy, everybody was engaged. I think I was on TV 50 times. You know, I was even on Fox. <laughs> oh. I was even on Fox Network. But I was talking about what you what we were doing as a vital community asset. And that helped raise the profile for us. You some of you got some of you got the opportunity to receive the gift from Mackenzie Scott. She yeah. gave us as a total almost a half a billion dollars as an organization. Oh my God. What? You know I was going to ask the question too. Mackenzie Scott. Uh, but that didn't happen but in a single perspective. It happened collectively because mm -hmm. she sees, she saw the YMCA as a vital community asset with the work that we were doing. Yeah. Think about that. The largest one gifts that we've ever gotten it was $495 million to 44 YMCAs. That's strong. <laughs> That's strong. Look, look, look. Because of what we were able to do. Yes, all under your legacy. Yes, that's a retirement. You got it off on that one, right? Yes. I can go down. I can sail away from that. Now, I can go. I can talk to you, and, and, and I can talk to Kurt. And Kurt, I know what they got. Yeah. I said, well, Kurt, how much do you pay us as an organization, YUSA, in mm -hmm. dues? You just got your dues back for like 10 or 15 years, so don't say nothing to me. <laughs> That's right. I like your style. <laughs> yes. Kevin, Kevin, let me, I, I, here's what I want to know. So I've heard the stories from probably half dozen or so CEOs, and they all kind of go the same, that you end up calling them or texting them like, hey, uh, you need to answer this email. Right? <laughs> well, here's the deal. I got a call from a, a, a private source who said, listen, Kevin, first of all, I had to sign an, an NDA about before they, even, they would even talk to me. Wow. He, he just said, I can't tell you who it is, but if I, but you got to sign this NDA, then I can talk to you. Okay. Then they said, you may, you, there will be, you, the wise may get money and they may not. I don't know because this person makes all the decisions. Mackenzie Scott makes all the decisions. We just feed information. This is what he was telling me. And she makes a decision. I said, okay. I knew about the process, but I had no idea who was going to get it, how much, when. But mm. when a couple of guys called me, because they would call you out of the blue, say, hey, uh, Keith, I need you to do such and such. You were like, what? Because <laughs> it, it, it seemed like a scam, right? Do you think? Right, it was, right. So a couple of the guys called me and said, I, and one guy who was a brother, 
I won't say his name, but he's a brother who I love dearly. <laughs> I said, I said some strong words to him. I said, you better call it. <laughs> and I did say that. Even some of some of the folks you may know well, I said, you better call that person back. Yeah. And, I, and all of them called me back and said, I can't believe this. I said, hey, <laughs> believe it. It's real. It's real. That that was game changing in a pandemic, giving folks a chance to be whole, to keep doing some incredible work. Uh, Man, when we found out about it in in Dallas, our CFO was like, do we have to wire money anywhere? Because we're not wiring money. No, we were like, no. (laughs) So, yeah. Came right in the mail. It was in the bank in two or three days, right? All of it. All of it. No payment plan, no jumping through hoops. No no pledge. (laughs) And unheard of, unheard of. It was. Shift the gears a little bit during what probably one of the last times that we could get together um, as folks in a movement was uh, out in California, right, where you unveiled your change maker initiative. And I was so excited because in my mind, I'm that change maker age in, in my mind. In my spirit, <laughs> don't make no faces. But I was so excited because I was like, "Yes, we are focusing on the young folks, the next generation. We are not discounting their power and their voice." Talk to us about Change Maker Initiative. That is so important for us. Um, one of the things that have come out very clearly in this pandemic, and I've talked to, uh, I'm on a council with 18 of our leaders, boys, boys and girls club, Boy Scouts, and all of those folks, and to a person, to a leader, what they're saying is that the young folks are not standing still. They are pushing us to the limit. Uh, I feel it when we had the issues around the children at the border. Our young folks are saying, the wives got to step up. You got to say something about that. And we're hearing more and more of that in our institution. And what I've said is we will not be a be able to get the kind of talent we need to lead our organization if if young folks don't see us as being socially active and socially responsible. Yeah. And as you know, when I talked about change makers, I talked about John Lewis. John Lewis was 19 years old when he crossed the Pettus Bridge. 19. Right. 19. Uh, I don't know if you had the opportunity to see the Black Messiah with Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton was 20 years old. Yes. And he had that place going. So, We've never had anything significant happen in our country or in the world without young people in the lead. Absolutely. Giving young people the opportunity to lead and hear their voices, I think for an organization like ours is a responsibility that Mm -hmm. we have to engage in. And Mm -hmm. so the change maker strategies was all about ensuring that we're providing platforms and opportunities for our young folks, the voices to be heard and for them to lead. Now what's scary about that, as many of us, us baby boomers are like, oh my God, where are they going to take us next? That's the scary part. Right. You know, if we're providing a platform, you know, for them to be able to lead and drive change, yeah. then we have to be comfortable where that change may take us. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, a lot of our young, a lot of our leaders are not comfortable with that. Yeah. What do you think those one or two key major things that our, our change makers should be taking us? I think there's two in my perspective. One, I'm truly concerned about our democracy. Mm. I am very concerned about it. I think civic engagement in our democracy is a place where we have to make sure our young people are looking strongly at and leading at. And then three, uh, social justice. 
the social justice issues. And what I was pleased about, you heard me talk about, look, I'm 67 years old. Um, I can sit in and tell you about the riots in the 1960s, 67, 68, 69 in Philadelphia, what we were doing, the frustration levels that you have, the anger that you feel, all those emotions. what I was, what was surprised me quite a bit about, not surprised me, I would say the hopefulness that I felt around the whole George Floyd re- issue was that the people that were out in the streets were just not people like us. Mm. They were people of all hues, ages, and that made me feel a level of hope that people are starting to understand that everything in this society, particularly in American society, and probably in a global perspective, is all about race and power. Yeah. All about race and power. And as one, the power issue is they're recognizing that our country, as it continues to get diverse, they may lose power and true. And they will lose it to people who don't look like them. Yeah. Yeah. The crux of our issues. And that's the whole systemic issue is Mm -hmm. race and power. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the people who are in power now perceive it as as a lose-lose perspective, a win-lose perspective, rather than a win-win perspective. They don't see diversity as a win-win. They see it as, I'm losing and they're gaining, rather than we're all gaining if we do this effectively. And that's the crux of the whole matter. And I'm hopeful that our change makers, as they come forth, as they deliver, as they work, and you guys are in it too, have a different perspective about race than what's been traditionally part of our American society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the work because I'm just a few years older than um, Fred Hampton was, and uh, <laughs> so it's that. But speaking on that, the 67 year old has seen so many things, has had so many accomplishments. You are right there on the horizon of your next grader. What would the 67 year old Kevin Washington tell that young first time program director? What wow. <laughs> wow. Start a revolution. No. <laughs> yes. Great advice. I would say <laughs> dominate your space. Mm. Wherever you are, because I know a lot of folks talk about, well, I can't change this or that, but you can change what you control. And that control is in, within the sphere where you're, what you're doing. Wherever you are, do that well. Mm-hmm. Be an expert at it, as good as you can be. And mm-hmm. also be a learner. Make sure you learn. Look at people who you like to emulate and find out what it is that they do and how do they get their success? Because mm-hmm. you learn more from that. You can learn from that. And then the other thing I've always said is, you know, two parts. One, be a good listener. Be a good listener. Because when you're, if you are a good listener, then you can pick up stuff that's going to be helpful to you. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is be who you are. Be your authentic self. No matter. One of the things that I pride myself on is this is me, whether I'm in the boardroom, the bar room, the pool room or the basketball court. This is who you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is an important aspect for anybody to be. And sometimes uh, my mother used to say sometimes folks, they get they get and we know that. They get turned off. They get a little nervous about this black guy who says what he thinks and has this air about him. You know what? That ain't my problem. That's their problem. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> their problem. It ain't mine. I didn't do anything. This is who I am. Yeah. So. See, I say that to Rodriguez. She look at me like I'm crazy, Kevin. <laughs> This is a whole different podcast. It's not the same. Trust me, it's not the same. <laughs> I, I had to turn away because I had to write down that dominate your space. I'm a, I'm a, uh, 
I'm gonna use that one right there. I like I like that one. I like that one right there. I feel like I'm gonna have to call you and tell you. Let me tell you what Keith did trying to say he dominating his space. <laughs> I mean, but like that's that Kevin. That's that space. I mean, that's that place that you can if you're doing that. You're not worried about everything else that's going on. Right. No, like, you're doing all the things right and some, and you're doing it to the to the fullest. Yes, exactly mm-hmm. right. Exactly. And it brings a level of confidence about who you are and what you're doing, right? This, yeah. is, this is who I am. This is who I am. Right. Yeah. And people and people, and one of the things you also know, people are always watching. Mm-hmm. Always. Always. Good behavior and good performance gets rewarded. I never applied for any of my jobs. People called me. They called me. They called me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all right. That's excellent. You see that? Keith, reward me for all of the great stuff that I do. <laughs> you know what I want, Keith? Shit. Kevin, this is all about you, brother, because I'm a, we're going to lead that conversation. So six or seven-year-old Kevin just shared with a uh, young program director. So in between that time, like, what, a, what, a, what would you say are two, three of your greatest accomplishments? Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, personally, I would say... The fact that my wife and I have been together for 43 years now. Uh, black marriage. All right. Amen. Black marriage. Uh, yeah. I, I owe it all to her. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. she's uh, been able to uh, deal with moving seven and eight times and all the other things that go along with this. Yeah. I think in the, in the wide, the, from a wide career perspective, um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, clearly, the ability to lead an organization that I started out with as a 10-year-old and has have been a part of my life for 57 years. Um, I don't, you know, I, I tend not to look at it that way, but I got I, you know, once you step back and look at it, you'll say that that had to be because there is a I'm the first of this hue to get this kind of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, I mean, it is significant, but it also says something about who we are as an organization, too, right? <laughs> it's both. Yeah. It's both. Um, but I also think the opportunity to work with so many different people. And I would say, if you one of the one of the accomplishments that I'm proud of, you go back and talk to anybody that I, that have worked with and for me, and they will tell you that I enjoy working with him. Because of how I treated them, the space that I gave them to be successful, the conversations that we had, whether they were difficult or not. Um, I tried to always instill in those conversations when I work with people that one, first of all, first and foremost, they're human beings. Secondarily, you want to treat everybody with dignity and respect. No, even if you're delivering a tough message, because right. they're human beings first and foremost. So I would say one of the things I'm really proud of, if you go back and talk to volunteers that that I had the pleasure of working, serving, that served in the wide that, that I worked with or staff, they will say, he treated me hum- humanistically, fairly, and we had, and I enjoyed working with him. Mm-hmm. That's very important. So, even in very difficult circumstances that I'm very proud of. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Very important. Very important. So what's what's next? What do you have plans for retirement? Like what are you gonna do? There's a couple of golf courses I want to conquer. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> but the I am gonna stay active, but I, I, I told my uh self and my wife that I'd give myself six months. 
Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to stay active in the youth development field in some way, shape, or form because, mm -hmm. as I you might have heard me say, I consider myself uh, a youth director, even though I'm better paid than I was 20, no, 40, 42 years ago. Um, I am so um, enamored by what's possible with our young people. Uh, I want to continue to use my talents, whatever time I have left on this earth, to help support that. I think that's, that's key for our society. So whether it's in education or any other way that I'm going to engage in that work. Now, I probably want to do some uh, teaching at a uh, community college to talk about the nonprofit community relative to board development strategy, those kinds of things. And those experiences that I've had over the years, I will I will do that. Um, and if the Y calls, I, I might take the call. I have to wait and see. <laughs> six months after I wake up when I want to go to sleep when I want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, it's to. been a you know the, not wearing a tie for six no, months. <laughs> no, no tie, and you know this this last year, as you probably would guess, being home and being zooming all the time, didn't realize how much we I traveled. I mean, I traveled probably uh, three four days a week. I was on a plane somewhere, and yeah. that that can get tiring after a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tiring. But yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Well, all right, all right. I, well, um, I got a board seat open if, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, I get my dibs in first. Let, let me ask you, what's the, what's the pay? Hey, man, <laughs> the I'm going to tell you like I tell my volunteers, it's a better pay in heaven. <laughs> I might do some nonprofit work, uh, but I, the other thing is I'm looking at a couple of um, uh, for-profit boards as well to do some of that. There you Excellent. go. There you go. They, they, man, they'd be so lucky to have you. So, overrated, underrated. This is where we get to find Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm so excited. You gonna toss the first one out, Keith? Overrated, underrated. Tell us whether something is overrated or underrated. Statements about diversity. Overrated. Mm. Oh, that's what I said. Why you overrated. One of the things that we always try to do when we put, put stuff out is what actions are we taking as a result of that? Yes. What are we doing around this? And, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about being on a journey to become an anti-racist organization, and we can talk about and demonstrate what are the actions we're doing internally to move down that path. Yes, sir. I've seen so many statements, um, and I think we're starting to see some proof in the pudding that came out of Georgia just recently. Mm -hmm. Everybody was on the Black Lives Matter train. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when there's something come push to shove, where are those voices at now? Yeah. Overrated is my on that. Overrated. All right. Overrated, underrated. Philly cheesesteaks. Underrated, baby. You got to have them. Oh. They, they are absolutely so good. I mean, it, 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 you can't even go on a diet with them. If you want to die and you go buy Pat's or or Jim Steak, you gonna stop. <laughs> they got that that un, that un, those grilled onions, that that olive oil. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, best in the world. I've been all over the country. Nobody makes them like Philly. <laughs> I I didn't mean to have that saliva coming out of my mouth. There. They're making me. Thank you. Oh, I think we gotta get a flight to Philly now. Got to get it. Got to have it. Uh, but is it still a Philly cheese? Like, if I don't get all the onions and the peppers, I just want the cheese and the. Is it the same? <sighs> you got to have the full experience. <laughs> okay. All 
All right. And you got to drip, drip the juice. Oh, the juice has to come. Oh, you got to get a little bit on your shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, overrated, underrated. Philadelphia Eagles. Overrated. Overrated. Uh-oh. They have not played well. They, I, quite frankly, I don't know how we won the Super Bowl. <laughs> we were lucky. We were lucky. Now, I'll say under. I'll say overrated about the Dallas Cowboys too. So you know. <laughs> well, people like that. I oh, I, that's fine for me. I'm a I'm a Washington football team. Washington fan. Rescue. Oh my God! Did you? <laughs> You're one of our, you, you and Dallas are our fierce components. You know yeah, that. <laughs> yes, sir. Just so you know, we we did win the NFC East last year, but I, know. I know you did. But Eagles are overrated. They're overrated. They're oh. overrated. Okay. Oh. Okay. okay. Overrated, underrated. Garrett's popcorn. Ooh. I'm telling you. Underrated. When you get that cheese corn, the cheese and that 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 mix. Oh. It'll I used, change your when life. I when I when I get to the airport, I would when I was coming from Chicago to Philly, I'd stop at that Garrett store and bring my wife home a bag of that coke. Man, <laughs> and it'd be gone by the weekend. <laughs> yes, that's what I said. A amazing. That's- underrated, brother. Underrated. Then you notice there's something about food that I always say is underrated. I just want you to know. <laughs> and I had the stomach to show it. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. Overrated, underrated. Esports. Esports. Woo, that's a good one. I'd say right now, um, underrated. Okay. Underrated. We okay. just started. Now, are you guys in the league with us, the wild league now? Yes, sir. How are you doing yes, so far? It's been all right. Uh, we, we're putting together. We're working on our second uh, pilot right now with it. Um, in the process, we're using the platform locally um, as well. We started off with 281 kids uh, in our program. We ran a tournament that had 45 kids in it. Um, and so now we're in the, going into the national uh, pilot right now okay. with, uh, with the group. And we're leading uh, one of the regions right now. I do think that it's underrated. And I think it's going to be a big growth pattern for yeah. YMTAs, mm-hmm. particularly because mm-hmm. we can engage more older kids in that process than we have in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And young ladies who like to play games too. We're, right. we're running out. Right. They love it too. So I think it's underrated. Yeah. Okay. 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 Overrated, underrated. Being a CEO. Oh, God. Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I mean. You know, um, I would say, you know, the best job, not, including this one, of course, the best job I had in the Y was being a chief operating officer in the YMCA of Chicago. Mm. I worked my behind off. I can tell you, I put 37,000 miles in my car in one year. Wow. I got up in the morning. I used to leave the house in the morning. I lived in the suburbs. So I'd get out of, I'd get up at five and leave the house by six so I could get in the office by seven. And I wouldn't leave till seven that night. And I worked Saturdays and Sundays. It was one of the hardest jobs I ever had, but it was so much fun. Yeah. You're in the mix. You're in the mix. Yeah. The CEO job was nowhere near as physically straining. It was much, much more mentally straining. Mm. You think about everything. You think yeah. about everything. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, the, the job is great because when you have success, you share, everybody's sharing in it. But mm. uh, it can be, um, it can be lonely at the top. Yes, lonely at the top. 
We just did a podcast with Kurt uh, called Lonely at the Top. Lonely at the it's Lonely top. at the Top. Because you can't talk to nobody. Right. Yep. Yep. Even though I say, damn, I love, I love Keith. I want Kim. And maybe something I, I say to him, and next week I'm firing him. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would fire you, Keith. But I, you know, you got to keep distant relations. It's, 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 it's a lonely job. It is a lonely yeah. job. Yeah. And yeah. then when I have 800 CEOs who think they can do it better than you, it's even worse. <laughs> That, that part. Uh, overrated, underrated. Social media. Oh God, under uh, overrated. Um, I think we have been saturated to death because what it has allowed people to do, from my perspective, and I'm an old guy, so this is we. we everybody's a journalist now. Everybody's a critic now, and you can go on social media and not say who you are and downgrade everybody. Right. So right. it's giving folks a voice. But it has taken away some of the face-to-face and some of the critical thinking because people, everybody is woke now. Oh, I'm woke, you know, and criticizing mm-hmm. everything. And yeah. that's not going to get us where we are. Right. Um, I do think that there that it is a purpose because it's been the first thing that's been able to disseminate information in a broad way. But sometimes that information is not worth disseminating. <laughs> mm, yeah. That's yeah. the other piece. It's a lot of junk in there. Yeah. A lot of junk. Yeah, sure. And disinformation, right? Everybody has their information now. And what's that old saying is, you can have your own uh, uh, information, but you can't have your own facts. (laughs) And that has happened as a result of what I see that social media has done. It's giving everybody their own sense of facts. Yeah, Um, yeah. Okay, last one. Here we go. Overrated or underrated? Chicago. Because you've lived a lot of places. Underrated, the best city in the country. Really? <laughs> I will tell you why, from my perspective. One, it's Midwest nice. People there are nice. They're not like the East Coast. Uh, and, and the West Coast to me is a little flighty. Southerners are very nice. I would say Southerners are nice. I can't say that. But East and West Coast are flighty. East mm-hmm. Coast is just rude sometimes. West Coast is flighty. Mm-hmm. Chicago's Midwest nice, period. Two, culturally, now, culturally, there is not anything Chicago doesn't have. It is sports, arts, music, everything. You got the beach, you got the lake, which is like a big ocean. It is, except for the winter, I got to say that. Yes. It may be the best. Restaurants of all type, neighborhoods, I mean, it is absolutely one of the most diverse uh, culinary places for people to live. A little violence, but the violence is in certain parts of the city. Very, very restricted. Mm. Uh, but I will tell you, Chicago to me may be the best city in the country. Mm. Wow, I thought Philly was going to win that. Philly, I love Philly because it's home. But yeah. Chicago, oh man. If it wasn't for the winners, whew. Wow. Wow. Chicago's a great city. Baseball, basketball, football, um, any kind of food, great museums, great theater, great shopping. I mean, it's this nothing Chicago doesn't have. Nothing. So in your retirement, you taking your talent south or you staying north? I'm going to be south for certain, north for certain parts of the year, but I'm going south in the, right after Christmas. <laughs> and I'll be there for a while. All right. You got it like that. Yeah. Well, before we close out, what's that uh, what's that advice that you would lay out there to to folks? Um, You know, as we're 
looking like we're closing out in this pandemic. Uh, things are going in the right direction. Wise are maybe beginning to level out. What's that advice that you would you know, want to share with leaders out here in the, in the movement? I would say, and, and, and I think the next three, two to three years are going to be recovery and revitalization. Mm. Recovery and revitalization. The other thing I would say is, please don't stop innovating. One of the things that I get on wise about, because when you innovate, when you're trying to innovate, you know what? You're going to fail sometime. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. But we have to be innovative. Um, and the other issue that, that we're dealing with, and you guys will be part of this, is what does membership really mean? Is it about transaction or is it about transformation or is it about engaging? What does membership really mean? And we have we have zeroed in on membership over the last 20, 30 as a transactional perspective. And that has not ingrained us in some of our people's heart because they say that I'm paying my $50 a month to be a member and I'm getting this for that. The question for me has always been, um, if you're a member of an organization, you believe in the principles and practices of that organization. Mm-hmm. You're not buying it for the sake of using it. You're buying it because you believe in it. So I think that is a practice that we, because we're not Peloton and we're not Lifetime Fitness. So I think that's going to be something that we have to work with. And of course, my big issue is, uh, I just looked at this. We got to be, we got to continue to work around diversity and inclusion and equity. Yeah. That's going to be a big issue for us as an organization as we move forward. Because we are just not only from numbers, but practices, policies, and perspectives. We got a lot of work to do. That's why I look to you guys, because when you lead it, you're bringing those mindsets to the table and you will use those mindsets to make the kind of decisions that's going to impact how we look and perceived by the people who support us and the others in the community. That's a big one for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it. All hail the chief is in the books, Keith. We did it. We yes, did yes, it. Yes, So much personally. You were my Barack Obama. I promise you, as a young program director, when I heard that you were going to be the next president and CEO of the YMCA of the USA, I danced. It don't take much for me to dance, but I danced <laughs> that day. You have absolutely been a God star. You have been that role model. You have definitely been that one to chase and to emulate. And we are so thankful for you and your legacy, sir. Thank you for spending time with us today. All hail the chief. And thank you guys for listening to Cosmetic. Where we're tackling topics and telling the truth. Subscribe to us and listen weekly. Go back and listen to this again. Kevin Washington was dropping nuggets, y'all. He was dropping. <laughs> yes, yes. And don't be shy. Give us a review. And as always, be dynamic. Be phenomenal. Be cosmetic.